I'd lived in a world of once I do this, once I achieve this, once I create that, once I reach that goal, once I get this much money or this many followers or this many girlfriends or that many whatevers, then I'll be happy. You know, once I, once I lose the weight or, or get the new behavior or get whatever it is, then I'll be happy. And, and what I realized is, oh yeah, that ain't it. That's not how it works. It's, you've already got what you've been pegging on that external things. Life podcast where we peel back the ball crap and brush away any photoshopping to give you an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. If you've listened to even a few episodes of this podcast, there is one aspect of building a prosperous coaching life that you will have heard countless times, and that is simply being of service. And I know of no one who provides more value, so much content that is of service for free. And today's guest, there's so much more as well I could say about this guy, but really he, he doesn't really need any introduction and hopefully you're going to get to know him a little bit um, in the next hour. But I have to say, I've learned so much from him um, and I don't think I've actually ever paid him a penny. So how can that be a good business strategy? So <laughs> let's, let's like explore that uh, as part of this conversation because um, I think he does okay and I'm sure he'll explain how that is. Uh, so a huge grateful welcome, Mr. Jamie Smart. Hello. Hello. Good to be here with you, Phil. <laughs> and I, you I've so got to say, I, it, this is the first time I've heard the word bullcrap in conversation. <laughs> is this a, is this a, 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 a U-rated podcast? Because I'll try and watch my language if it is. I don't think, no, no, I have it automatically set. What was it? it has the little e on it so you know because yeah. the, actually this podcast is all about being real so um uh, yeah, okay uh, it's so totally it's all about being real yeah yeah it is <laughs> <laughs> so jamie just a little bit of backstory i don't know how many there, there won't be that many people listening to this i'm sure who haven't come across you before but just for those guys I'd, what's what got you into like personal development going into coaching i know that there's um as there's a story as well around alcohol and there's like uh, some weight loss I, I, could you cram all that into you know a five or ten minute segment for us like what's a story around yeah that? sure so i i used to uh work as a software project manager that was my job and uh i i had a knack for it so managing these big organizational projects but I didn't particularly enjoy it. And I lived in a huge amount of stress, which I dealt with by drinking heavily. And that really seemed to work. It, was, mm -hmm. it wasn't like, like I was a chronic alcoholic, but it wasn't like I was non-functional. I was really good at my job and all that sort of stuff. Um, and it got to the late nineties and I was, uh, I, well, I stopped, I, I had to stop drinking because my wife told me, my then wife told me she was going to leave, which I did. And as soon as I stopped drinking, I started going nuts. Like, because I, what I hadn't realized at the time was that alcohol was a solution to, well, what I thought then was a kind of thinking and emotional problem. Al alcohol was a solution. It happened to be a solution that had unpleasant side effects, but it was a solution to a problem. Um, now, how I would put it is that alcohol was a, a way of medicating the pain of living in a fundamental misunderstanding of, you know, who, who I am and how my experience is created. But that's just, you know, that I've got different ways of talking about it. Yeah. The reason yeah. I drank is because, you know, it felt better than not drinking. And when I stopped mm -hmm. to kind of save my marriage, I started going nuts. And so I... Uh, got into recovery, uh, for which I'm really, really grateful, actually. 12-step recovery saved my ass. Really very, uh, very grateful for that. And I uh, just started, I'd always thought of anything to do with personal development or anything like that as just hippie bullshit. And, and I, I wasn't interested in it. And, but as I started, as I stopped drinking and got into recovery, I was looking for ways to to deal with all these, you know, these things that were 
puzzling to me, feelings and things like, like I'd been very numb up until then, right? And I, I got curious about this stuff called NLP and convinced my boss to send me on a, like a two-day training course uh, to become more influential. Because the thing with project management, it was, you know, we we're doing technology problems, but we had two rules. Rule number one was uh, it's never a technology problem. It's always a people problem. And rule number two was even when they swear it's a technology problem, it's still a people problem. And the, right. the issue with landing projects was always about winning hearts and minds and all that sort of stuff. So I went on this two-day course ostensibly to become more influential, to get just become a better communicator, which was, that was interesting to me. Being a good communicator was interesting yeah. to me. I was terrified of public speaking and stuff like that. So I kind of instinctively knew it'd be worth getting better at that kind of stuff. Anyway, I went on that course and I had two insights. I didn't know they were insights. I wouldn't have called them that, but I had two insights. The first insight was like up until then, I had friends who were becoming contractors or starting their own businesses. And I had this real sense of wanting, kind of having a sense of, there's something I'd love to be doing, but I don't know what it is and feeling like I had to do the software project management thing because I kind of fallen into it, but didn't know what else to do. And I was getting well paid for it, blah, 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 blah. So the first insight I had was, oh, you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. And I kind of, I somehow saw like that. I don't really have the words for it, Phil, but I somehow saw that I, I was kind of, had a much more active part in having created the life that I'd created than I'd thought up till then. Now, you know, non-duality and that sort of thing aside, I just kind of saw that I, I, life wasn't just happening to me. Like I had, uh, not only could I be an active participant in my own life, but I already had been, I just had been a little bit asleep to that fact. So that was, that was like, oh, you can, you can do anything. You can have a go at it. You don't know if it's going to work out, but these constraints that you've been living with, they're kind of made up. So I saw that. I was like, oh, wow. Second insight I had was because this was the first time I'd been on a training course that was actually interesting. Like every training course I'd been up to, to, uh, to it until that point was called like a practical approach to data management, <laughs> systems architecture and that kind of thing. And it was really boring. This course was interesting. And the guy who was teaching it was engaging and he was coaching people and he was telling stories and it was just fascinating and useful and interesting and practical and transformation. And I was like, I want to fucking do that. That look, that's what I want to do. And then I had a problem because I was like terrified of public speaking. And that was basically public <laughs> speaking on steroids and I was like, I want to do that. So I was like, okay, well, how can we make that happen? So I was just practical. I was like, well, if I want to do that for a living, then, okay, number one, you're going to have to develop a bunch of skills. Because at, at that point, I didn't have the skills to do any of that. I didn't even understand it. I, I'd been on an introductory course. So I was like, okay, well, this is going to be a project. Let's map it out, figure out where you want to be, what you're going to need, what's going to need to happen. And so I quit my job a couple of weeks later to get a contracting gig that paid kind of trip. That was kind of a step one to kind of fund the process of preparing, kind of preparing to launch kind of thing. Which, For our listeners, because I ahead. probably won't edit out. Um, the connection dropped. So I heard you say you got a contracting gig and I think you said on triple... Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I was a project manager. So I, I was literally by being willing to let go of the uh, kind of the so-called security of yeah. a job. Yeah. I could, I could pretty much triple my, my income overnight. And um, I did a similar thing, by the way, when I was in corporate, oh, yeah. I, 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 I used to work for BT, which is like a job for life. Right. And the BT, yeah. largest telecoms company in, in, in the UK. And I'd been there 11 years and yeah, I, I, I jumped ship and went contractor. Yeah. So that was a great move. That was a really nice interim move for a couple of years where I could uh, be building up my resources, reducing my cost base. Cause it just seemed to me that the, 
the the more the the less outgoings and the more incomings I had, the more I would be able to have time and space to develop. Like that looked just like common sense to me. So a lot of times I'll see people going in a, in a different position where they're trying to start a business, but they need their business to be generate. They need it to be fully replacing their salary from day one. And I mean, like, I'm like, that looks tough. That looks like it's not impossible, but that's a, that's a tougher way of doing it. So I feel, I feel very fortunate to have been in a position to do that. And, and my partner at the time, my, my wife at the time was supportive of it, which was mm -hmm. cool. Um, so I did that. I uh, started a business with a buddy of mine doing kind of corporate consulting and executive coaching and training and that sort of thing. We did that for a couple of years. Then we went in separate directions. And I, I really wanted to do stuff kind of for the public. And so I, I launched my first company that was all mine. It's a company called Salad in yeah. January of 2003 and ran NLP training courses and built up a, a newsletter. It was early in the game with Google AdWords and things like that. And no one was like, newsletters were kind of new and got an 80% open rate and things like, wow. <laughs> things like that. And so I built up a newsletter with about 90,000 people on it and built a products business, but it was always based on the, I, funnily enough, I, you know, I, my kind of, uh, insight into the 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 way of the the internet was changing business came from a guy called Seth Market Seth Godin who wrote a, a book called Permission Marketing way way back or wrote a book called The Idea Virus that I was reading when I still had a job I was just fascinated in how ideas spread and how how the internet enabled the spread of ideas and so so I I always had the idea that cuz I when I started my first business, I knew that I didn't know anything about marketing or sales or anything, but I knew that was going to have to be a part of it one way or another, that if you, if you want to be in business, then at some point, someone's going to need to pay you money for something. Mm -hmm. And it really made sense to me that it's a lot easier for someone to do that if they already know you and like you and trust you, if they have a relationship with you like that just kind of looked, that made sense to me. And so I thought, well, how can I do that? And the only way I could think of was I could write articles. I could write articles. Not that I was a great writer or anything, but I could write articles and send them out to people. And I did that every week, week in, week out for about 10 oh, years wow. and built up a, an audience of about 90,000 people. And then in 2009, uh, I came across the principles, uh, the three principles as articulated by Sid Banks, which I refer to as the principles behind clarity. And I was like, I had three insights. And I'll, I'll tell you this and then I'll, I'll, I'll shut up and, and we'll, we'll see where the, the story takes us. <laughs> First insight I had was, oh, everything you've been looking for outside yourself is already there within you. And I'd read that, you know, in a hundred spiritual texts and in lots of personal development books and everything else. But I, I really, I saw it, I, I realized it, I felt it, I was like, oh, you've been looking in the wrong place. It's already there within you. So that, that immediately changed how I related to myself and how I, I it kind of reorganized what was important to me and that sort of thing. It didn't mean I didn't have goals or things I wanted to do. It just changed the order of priority. And I'd say that one insight that, you know, I was on a, uh, I was having a conversation uh, for my Clarity Pro members last night with a dear, dear friend and mentor and colleague, Chip Chipman. And uh, we were talking about something he said that I just found so profound. He said, that the feeling you're living in is all you get. The feeling you're living in is all you get. The experience you're living in is all you get. And Phil, I'd lived in a world of once I do this, once I achieve this, once I create that, once I reach that goal, once I get this much money or this many followers or this many girlfriends or that many whatever's then I'll be happy you know once I once I lose the weight or or get the new behavior or get whatever it is then I'll be happy and and what I realize is oh yeah that ain't it 
That's not how it works. It's, you've already got what you've been pegging on that external thing. So that reorganized everything for me in a heartbeat. Didn't mean I no longer got into kind of outcome seeking and all that kind of stuff. I still do, by the way. It's just, yeah. it, it just, it, it, it robbed it of its uh, validity. Could yeah. That was a game changer. Second game changer came a couple of months later. I was listening to a Sid Banks recording, which I would recommend to anyone who's listening to this, even if you don't like them. Right? Like those, those recordings are absolutely rocket fuel. I was listening to a Sid Banks recording and I suddenly realized the fact that a person can see or hear or feel or perceive means they have the source of clarity and resilience and well-being already within them. The fact that they're even like can conduct a conversation, even if they can't conduct a conversation, the fact that they're even having some sort of perceptual experience means they have that source of innate mental health there within them. Uh, and the source of, you know, creativity and love and insight and all that stuff, it's already there. Well, that, immediately transformed how I work with clients. So my work as a coach, as a trainer, as a teacher changed in a heartbeat because the, the, the problems and objectives and goals my clients all had all were either looking for some flavor of I'll be happy when, or were getting hogtied by some flavor of I'll be happy when, or I can't be happy if, or I can't be happy because, or I need this in order to that. So just seeing, oh, they've already got it too. That changed my coaching, that transformed my coaching. The third insight was in June of that year. I suddenly realized, oh, these principles, this is, this is the future of psychology. This is to psychology what the discovery of germs was to mm -hmm. medicine. This is a game changer. And the moment I saw that literally that day, I called up uh, my, uh, my assistant in my business, I said, we're, we're getting out of the field of NLP. There's principles for psychology. It's, this is the future of humanity. And uh, that was a kind of, that was when everything changed actually, Phil, you know, that because I, I'd always had, since I'd been doing this stuff, I'd always had a sense of purpose and mission and doing what I love. But for a period of there, I'd been kind of like, I, I kind of got everything that I thought I wanted and I wasn't <laughs> it wasn't enough <laughs> and it was yeah. like being looking in the wrong place and i saw this and i was like oh let's go this is not, so i was curious, really curious about that you know because I'm, I'm curious what what then what did that change in you because yeah it's it's obvious really to anybody who follows you what was changing your business and I, I, of course i want to come back to that i've got quite a few questions around that but what what changed with you? Like where where for example, and I, I know when I first started following you, there was more of you physically. So there's a, there's a story there. Like so, you know, what what changed with Jamie Smart? Well, all sorts and and the like. What it's been like for me, Phil, is that those those three insights that I mentioned to you those all gave me a glimpse of something that's true. And that something that's true, which I would refer to as who we really are, mm -hmm. who we are and, and how experience is created and what we've got going for us. That has continued to inform me and nourish me, you could say, and guide me. And so the process of what's changed, what's changed is I, I woke up to something that's already true about everyone. That's what changed. Am I seeing that thing that's all already true about everyone? It informed most or maybe all of my decisions about all kinds of things. Now, I'm a lot slimmer now than I was uh, uh, a decade ago. But my weight still goes kind of, I'm still, it, it's, it's, it's not like, it wasn't a binary. Oh, I used to be overweight and now I'm ripped. It's like, it's been a, it's been a learning process and it's been gradual. It's been like peeling the layers of the onion. So for instance, I, I had those insights in 2009, but the first things that changed were like, I didn't, I wasn't as stressed. I wasn't as worried as anxious. Um, and, and, I wasn't kind of 
I didn't have, there was still a kind of desperate energy. Oh, pardon me. There's an alarm going off reminding me to do something. Uh, uh, there was a kind of a kind of a desperate energy which went away, and so I don't know that what changed in me. One of the things that changed very substantively that's that's informed every aspect of my life really is I, I kind of became what I what I describe as a connoisseur of connection. Mm. Like up until that point, I rarely, if ever, experienced the sense of connection with with other people and and I became a, a connoisseur of that I love that feeling of connection in conversation in coaching sessions with my loved ones I love that that feeling of connection so that that changed and when when I think of connection I think of connection you know not only to the other person but also connection to who you really are and connection to life itself and so that kind of like my it's funny, Phil, like as I see it now, I think that what everyone is searching for is who they really are. Everyone's searching for themselves. And when you realize you already have that, it doesn't mean you stop searching necessarily. You can still get caught up in it, but it just doesn't look very convincing. It doesn't hold much uh, yeah, uh, it doesn't. It doesn't hold much credibility, you know. I, I've noticed. I've described that as like my. I still experience grief. I mean, I made a video about that today, and um, you know, still sadness. And I, I have a similar story of my way too, that it hasn't been even been a. Still a little bit up and down, but there's a there's a general trend for sure. Um, but I think the relationship with that searching changes. You know, if you'd have asked me this a couple of years ago, I might say, no, no, I'm definitely not searching. But of course we are, because that's a very human thing for us to do the search and even the chasing to an extent but i would i definitely think that i really well i think my relationship with that has changed yeah i i think the other thing that that strikes me as i listen to you is that there's the thing that i've become more and more aware of over the years is the the kind of the the health that's already there at the deepest level like one of the things that, that really informs my work with clients actually, Phil, is that, that people are always doing what makes sense mm -hmm. at their current level of understanding. And, the, and so there's an intelligence at play there. And yet often when it comes to the things that maybe people don't like about themselves or that they struggle with or whatever, they're, they relate to that stuff like there's some kind of idiot or that, that it's something wrong with them or that sort of thing. Whereas the thing that they describe as being wrong with them, often when I have a closer look, it turns out to be a, a there's a real intelligence of work there. There's a real, it's, they're overlooking the, the very um, cool leveraged stuff that uh, that deeper wisdom is taking care of for them in that very thing that they're cursing, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it, it changed everything for me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. So there's a, there's a few things I want to dive into about really, you know, your your business and, and indeed your life, I guess. But so in my intro, I mentioned immense value that you provide. So um, and and there's there's two things I notice about you, and and one thing I've heard you share previously as well is you do produce an enormous amount of content for people for free. But I also know, I've heard you say that for everything that you launch that seems to sell, there's a whole number of other things that don't. Like, it just seems that you're relentless in, you know, experimenting and, and, and uh, being of service. So can you just tell us how that looks to you? How that approaching business looks to you with, from that ethic? Well, I, I can, but I don't know if I'll answer your question because they, it's, a, it's kind of a big one. So I'll, I'll have mm. a crack at it. The one thing I'd say is, you know, I, I am constantly experimenting and trying things and that sort of thing. And some of them work and some of them don't. And the things that work, I just put more energy in. So I, I'm, that, that's the case. The, the thing of constantly creating new things and new ways of creating value, that's very much a personal style. Like I'm very... Uh, 
I'm very onto the next thing and that sort of thing. And I, I would probably have a much more, you know, uh, profitable and probably a more impactful business if I could just settle on a couple of things and do them over and over again and, and optimize them and make them better and better and better or, or find a way of doing that. But I have a kind of, I have a very kind of what's next, the energy. And so, so that, that's good news, bad news. It means I'm always interested and engaged in sharing the stuff that's freshest for me and most interesting and, and the stuff that's freshest and most interesting to me. Often the people who are kind of, who, who vibe with me, that's fresh and interesting to them too. So that's cool. But the downside of it from a business perspective is, you know, if, if you want things to really kind of combust, you need focus. And so there's an argument to say that actually that's good news, bad news, that one of the things I could do with, uh, with um, uh, raising my game on would be more focused and not creating quite as many new things and putting a little more time and energy into uh, just optimizing what we've already got. Unfortunately, I find optimization worthy, but a bit dull. So uh, I, I need to find a way to crack that one. Which probably means find someone else to do the optimizing. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, 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 sorry, go ahead. Well, no, I was just going to acknowledge that, you know, I heard uh, one of your podcast, fairly recent podcasts, I think it was like November and uh, you were sharing how, um, yeah, there were some people, I think, I don't know if it was in the question answer, but anyway, people were co- had found you from content that you'd produced 10 years ago. And, you know, yeah. somebody was coaching me a, a, a few years ago. They kept just, this one line, which I think is so useful, it's so key in, in any business like this, perhaps any business, service businesses, to create the opportunity for people to experience you without you being there. Mm-hmm. And you've got loads of that. And, and in actual fact, because you've been producing this content for so long, and indeed, like I say, somebody had come across you from content that you produced 10 years ago, that was of interest of them. Like they they can they can experience a whole you know, 10 years, if you like, of your work, of your work journey. And um, yeah, I just want to acknowledge you for that. that there's just, there's oh, so much you. stuff out there that's, um, that's amazing. And, um, you know, when I, when I speak to people, I think that is an important point that it's, it's, it's so easy for anyone here to set up, put a plaque on the wall, if you want to go, Hey, I'm a coach, right? Where are my clients? But just getting back on track here a little bit, the key thing that I see is just be of service to people. Like, what it, what is it that you are providing that people want? It seems to be something that people miss. Well, it, it really, there's a bunch of different things going on there as well, Phil. And one is, and, and it's really simple, but it, the, what I'm about to say, I'm going to suggest for anyone who's wanting to build a coaching practice or a training business or anything like that, that this simple couple of things is the thing that, that most coaches overlook. So number one, it, it's a relationship business. Coaching is a relationship business. Like you said that you've listened to tons of my content and you've never paid me a penny. And I'm fine with that. You're one of the people who has allowed me to build a relationship with them in their minds without me being there. So you are among uh, many, many thousands of people around the world who have, I, I would say, kind of fairly deep, nuanced relationships with me. They've been on a journey with me for much of my life. But here's the other thing that's happened. Because they've got that kind of expanse of experience, that builds a whole bunch of credibility and authority and trust. And by the way, if you've been on that journey for a while, Either you must experience extreme value for it, from it or like me or both, or, or the value is so good that you'll overlook the fact that you can't stand me. Like either way, that builds relationship. And so if, if you stop and think about it for a moment, as a coach, you, you're, you're, if, if someone's going to hire you to coach them, They've got to have, there's got to be two things. Number one, they've got to have a high level of relationship with you. They've got to know you. They've got to like you. They've got to trust you. They've got to like spending time with you because if they're going to pay you money to spend time with you, they've got to like be positive about the prospect of that. They've got to trust you because they're going to be not only giving you their money, but giving you their time and opening their heart to you and sharing 
maybe their darkest secrets with you. So they've got, they need to have all three of those. They got to know you, they got to like you, they got to trust you. And, and so relationship is absolutely crucial. And my experience is like my rule of thumb is if someone's going to do business with you, they've got to be spending kind of between, well, I think funnily enough, the reason a book, you know, we call, talk about the author of a book. Well, my books take between four and eight hours to read. And the, the word author is, you know, a root of the word authority, right? So, so, so it, I work on the basis that if I, could I read a book by someone and then go hire them? Yeah, probably. That would probably do it for me. If I like, if I read yeah. the book and I, I, by the end of the book, I know them and I like them and I'm clear on uh, what it is I want to get, then, then that would, that's enough. So four to eight hours, that's my rule of thumb. Someone needs to spend, and I've had examples of this. People have literally binge listened to a bunch of my coaching demos on podcasts, then called up my office and booked on my clarity certification, which is like a 10,000 pound course, right? So you know, eight hours of podcasts later, they're like, I, I want to meet this guy. So the first thing you have to have, if you want to have trusted advisor relationship with someone is you got to have that relationship. They've got to know yeah. you, they've got to like you, they've got to trust you. The second thing that has to be there before they'll hire you is they've got to have a compelling problem or want or need or desire that they understand or are aware of and that you can help them with. And they've got to know that you can help them with that. So not only do they need to know that you can help them with it, they've got to be aware of what it is. And it's got to be compelling enough for them to want to spend time, energy, money, potentially discomfort and all that stuff on getting that handled. So you need both of those things if you want to enroll a coaching client. And, and I find most coaches that are not clear on that. They, they, most coaches who are struggling, I should say, aren't clear on that. So they're not developing long-term relationships with people. And they're not, they're not clear on what their clients want. They're clear on what they want as a coach or what yeah. they think would be good for people and that sort of thing. But they're not clear on what their clients want. And the fact is your clients don't care what you think would be good for them. They want what they want. They want what they want. So, so I think the, the art of those two aspects of it, if, if someone listening to this say, you know, what can I focus on that's going to make me more successful as a coach relationship and helping get clear on what your clients actually want and, and need the problems they want solved, the things they need and want and that sort of thing. So those two things, that looks almost like a yoga to me. Phil. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I totally get that as well. And, um, yeah, beautifully articulated, of course. I think there's an important point in there as well that you, you've touched on, and I've mentioned it numerous times on this podcast, where there is that temptation, you know, people come across the principles and what have you, and they start talking in that language. But I, I've never met anyone, um, you know, I think it's still true, who, you know, is, is perhaps fairly senior in a corporate, anyone actually, who's perhaps they're scared of going home because of the state of their marriage or whatever, who is, you know, the kind the conversation they're having in their head is not, oh, I wish I knew who I truly was. Like, that's not the kind of conversation they have. Yeah. And, um, you know, I've heard you mention about, you know, connecting with the participate in the conversation people have in their heads yeah. or with their mates in the cafes or whatever. Jamie, you mentioned like you, you run a clarity training school. So I'm going to ask you a, a, a couple of questions really around, around this stuff that I want to probe you about. So clearly not everyone who goes through, not just yours, but there are, there are several now, of course, that uh, there are some well-known like yours and, and, and others, which I, I won't, I'm not going to name any, any of them, but it, from where I'm sitting and no zero, zero scientific research here, but just from where I'm sitting, it looks like a very mixed bag of people that then go on to create what I'm going to term a prosperous coaching life. So why do you think that is? Why is it that some people can still go through any amount of training and yet still actually do struggle to create that prosperous coaching life? Is there a is there one by prospering, by prosperous coaching life? Do you mean a, a coaching business or yes, or a coaching business, primarily a coaching got business? It, got yeah. it. Well, there are a couple of things. So, 
there, there are a couple of different programs I want to distinguish just to answer that question. Mm -hmm. So I've got Clarity Certification and Clarity Certification has a real mix of people who come on it. So some of them are people who are already coaches who want to bring these principles into the work they're already doing. So they already have successful coaching businesses and that sort of thing. They want to bring these principles into it. Some of them are people who are on the journey to building a coaching business. Some of them are people who are working in organizations and who just want to bring the principles into their work. Some of them are people who want to see these principles for themselves and, and they're not that bothered about sharing them with others. But here's the interesting thing, Phil. A lot of the people, this is a classic one actually, uh, Louisa Dale, one of our Clarity coaches, she, she came on uh, Clarity certification a few years back. And her idea, what she was working in the NHS and she'd had burnout and been on uh, medication and that sort of thing. And she's like, I'm going to go on Clarity certification. I'm going to become a coach and then I can leave my rubbish job in the NHS and I can uh, have a coaching business, that sort of thing. She gets insights into these principles. She's like, oh, I can have more of an impact in the NHS staying there and sharing these principles in there. So I often find people will come with one objective and it changes part way, but there's also a bunch of people. So we have another program called Thriving Coaches Blueprint. And that's very much like a hothouse for helping coaches basically make progress in growing their business. And it's been an opportunity for me to look exactly at what is it that has some people struggling? What do they need to get past? What needs to happen for them to succeed? Because the thing is, you know, and it's interesting, even the way you asked the question was, how come some people go on to have a thriving coaching life or I can't remember a prosperous coaching life. And I'm like, what, what is that? Is that a business? <laughs> I'm not sure. Because the thing is like the bottom line is, and this, you don't have to look at it like this, but if you want to be, if you want to go from having a job at B, BT or whatever, or or uh, doing something that you're not that into, to to being a coach and having a coaching practice and getting paid for that, which is what a lot of people want, then you're basically what you're looking at is you're starting a business. Yeah, you're starting a business now. If you're going to start a business, you need to know that starting a business is not necessary. It's straightforward in lots of ways, but it's got no guarantees of success because there are like millions of people start businesses every year and far fewer than millions, a, a, a subset of those actually create sustainable businesses because starting a business is, there are all kinds of variables going on. So here are some of the variables that I noticed that people, and by the way, with both Thriving Coaches Blueprint and Clarity Certification, everyone comes in at a different, with a different kind of set of stuff going on. So the three things I like to kind of sort it out into, just for simplicity's sake, are what I call grounding, your kind of mindset and personal transformation, impact, the difference you make to your clients, and then livelihood and leverage, your, your kind of your, uh, ability to leverage that, to scale that, to get paid for it, that sort of thing. So what I often find is that people have challenges with all three of those. So, mm -hmm. so for instance, a lot of times someone will come along and say, oh, I want to, I want to learn about sales and marketing. I'm great. Uh, uh, sales and marketing. I'm, I, I love coaching. I'm a great coach. I just don't know anything about sales and marketing. I hate sales and marketing. I'm like, okay, well, Go, go on, Phil. Well, I just think, yeah, it's that sounds like the problem that they hate sales and marketing. They, they well, that'll be way... part of it. Yeah. But Here's I... the interesting thing I found, though. A lot of times they'll say, I hate sales and marketing. And I also uh, lack confidence in the difference I can make to people and wonder if I actually deserve to do this. You know, it's like there's all kinds of internal stuff. Now, here's the thing, Phil, I understand because I've been through a bunch of that stuff myself. A lot of us have been schooled for to have a job and to be employed and that sort of thing. And what I found is the jump from uh, being employed to having a thriving coaching practice or to even starting a business, that's a much bigger jump than the jump from having 
a not so successful coaching business to having a much more successful coaching business. Because actually a lot of people are very afraid that the, of kind of letting go of the perceived security of a job. That, that's just frightening to them. Well, the thing is, if that's frightening to you, you either got to say, okay, well, I'm going to do it anyway, or you got to find a job because it's like that if you've got that deep kind of insecurity about, you know, am I going to be okay and all that sort of stuff, you don't want that infecting your, you know, your coaching sessions and your enrollment conversations and that sort of stuff. You, you, you need to, and that's another thing I'll often see is that people are like, and here's the thing, I'm, I'm very privileged, right? When I got into this stuff, I was already making good money as a contractor. And so I scaled down my contractor hours and got to learn about enrolling people and all that sort of stuff while I was still getting paid. So I did a kind of stage transition. So I recognized that I was in a privileged position, but what it meant was that I got to kind of tackle these money things. So that's the thing I see. I see that because you're all wrapped up in what's going on for you. And, and the number one thing when it comes to being a successful coach, in my opinion, is having your attention on what, what's going on for your client. What it's yeah. not about like about being authentic and real and that sort of thing. But there's a way in which it's not about you. And, yeah. and so yeah. the, the, I, I, I think the thing that explains the very, you know, if, if we were having a conversation and you said, Jamie, how come every year, in, like this isn't a great year for this example, but in years that weren't 2020, how come every year 10,000 restaurants open in London and only a few thousand of them are still there a year later? Yeah. It's like, because the restaurant business is not like, it's not, it's, it's not like get, going and getting a job for a big existing company. You're doing something new. And, yeah. and, and that's kind of a, like, Speaking to, I know you've been, you know, running your own business one, one way or another for quite some years, as have I. It's a learning process and it's a process of continual evolution and figuring things out and all that sort of stuff. And for those of us who have been schooled to have a job, it, it's like when, when you've got a job, typically, when you've got a job, where, especially if it's working in a large organization, and that's that's the background for a lot of people who become coaches. They've been working in a large organization. They have an experience of coaching. They think, man, I'd love to do that. If you're working as a, in a large organization, you typically have one very specified role in a large kind of machine, you could say. And almost everything else, whether it's branding or sales or marketing or customer relationships, or that, that's all taken care of. And all of a sudden you're starting your own company and you got to, you got to take care of every aspect of that that you want to get handled, and you, and you don't have to include all of them. But anything you want to get handled, you got to get it taken care of one way or another. I, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that everyone's up for that. Yeah, I agree, and, and yeah, I mean, I've been running my own business for what 25 years, 1995, and uh, I think it's easy really for us to forget there's a lot of intricacies sure they all they all you can simplify things down but big difference between running a business and being in a job jamie i want to ask you a couple of things really about like principles so here's the thing going off a bit of a tangent here but since i've got you in front of me um the principles behind clarity so i'm curious why that why not the three principles because i, I don't like to gossip expect, ex, except i do like to gossip a little bit as everybody does but i don't think I'm, i wouldn't say i'm a gossiper as such but you know i'm 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 aware that um of a of a perception that this is like this is over commercialized of principles like why not refer directly to the three principles is that a, is that an easy question to answer Oh, it's a, it's, I think it's a terrific question. So when I first came across this understanding, like as I was like 2009, and I went to my first conference. And at the time, Phil, I was running Three Principles University, right? Like I, I, I was flying uh, trainers in from the US and, and that sort of thing. Um, and, and when I was referring to it directly as the Three Principles, it caused an uproar. So this was not long after Sid Banks had died. And 
the, um, I went to a conference in uh, Florida and there were about 120 people there. Uh, it was three principles conference. And the average age was about 60. Sid had died in 2009. And everyone was telling me how difficult it was to get people interested in the principles. And I listened to them and what I saw was they were kind of preaching to the choir. They were doing the thing that most coaches aren't doing. They're, they're, uh, they, they were doing the thing that, sorry, that most coaches are doing. They, they weren't going to what's the conversation people are having in their head, right? And so I was kind of like, yeah, well, let's see about that. So I, I just started saying, let's see what happened. Because as far as I was concerned, this is the best thing ever. And the biggest challenge any movement has is outliving the death of its founder, right? And Sid Banks had died in 2009. The average age of the people at this conference was around 60. And they were all saying how difficult it was to get people interested. And I was like, are you kidding me? This is like, this is the best thing since sliced bread. People will be interested, watch. Yeah, and so I started yeah. shouting about it and going, hey, there's this thing, three principles. I set up three principles universities. They went nuts. They're like, ah, you can't do that. I'm like, how come? They said, three principles is a brand. You can't market it like that, you can't do that. Well, that shocked me. And I suddenly, cause I'd never thought of that, that it's a brand. And, and so I started thinking about, well, if three principles is a brand, what does that brand stand for? And as I thought about it, at one end of the spectrum, it stands for, you know, some of not only Sid Banks work, but some of my teachers like Chip Chipman, who I mentioned, and Keith Blevins and Kathy Casey and Mark Howard and others who are absolute, absolutely pristine in what they're sharing. Like I love what they teach and they they call that the three principles and then it also stood for a, a lot of people who seem to be all over the shop that were using that brand so i thought well if the three principles is a brand is it a brand that i want to use and it was like no it's not it's not i don't i'm i'm fine with them using that brand go for it fill your boots i i'm i don't want to conduct my business using a brand that stands for such a, 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 a not only stands for such a wide range of things but also that it it has a lot of people saying how difficult it is to share this understanding with the world and the 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 thing is as far as i can tell phil the three principles is it, as a, as a brand is a pretty terrible place to start a conversation. Cause if you yeah. say to someone, there are these three principles, they go, what are they? And then they're in trouble. So what I thought was let's come up with something different, but here's the other thing related to that. You know, when people talk about the three principles, the three principles actually means at least six different things. Number one, it's the three formless principles articulated by Sid Banks, mind, thought, and consciousness. And those are formless energy. So it's, they're, they're metaphors for mm -hmm. a formless, intelligent energy behind life. So if someone says, what do the three principles have to say about techniques? It's like, they don't have lips, so they don't have anything to say about it. It's <laughs> like they're formless energies. So. It, when people say the three principles, sometimes they mean that. Sometimes they mean the three principles community. Now, the three principles community, of which I'm a de facto member, has a lot to say about all kinds of things. All right. uh, and, and some of my dearest friends and mentors and colleagues are members of that community. And so I care about the people in that community. Third thing people mean by the three principles is the beliefs and values of that of the people in that community. There's a belief structure and a set of uh, um, taboos and you know rituals and routines and all the things that all human communities have. A community has a boundary, and that boundary is held in place by conservatives and pressed out against by progressives. So that's going on too. The three principles also means a modality of change work. Uh, the three principles also means, so it's used for all the, and then it means a brand. Now I hadn't realized, I'd known about the first five definitions. I hadn't known about the brand thing until one of the, 
one of the first generation members pulled me to one side while I was happily promoting Three Principles University and said, you can't call it that. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll call it something else. So I thought, well, what's, what's going to be something rather than Three Principles, which is a tough place to start a conversation, what's going to be a good place to start a conversation? I thought, clarity, clarity. People want clarity. Mm-hmm. So clarity was the name of my first book. It became a very successful book. So I thought, well, that'll be a good brand to work with as a, but but it's the brand of a business. And when I talk about the principles behind clarity, that's a relatively easy place to start a conversation. When people say, so what are the principles behind clarity? And just say, well, it's it's, uh, just a way of talking about our innate capacity for uh, resilience and well-being and uh, insight and transformation. It was like, oh, uh, and and then, you know, the, that was 10 years ago when I came up with that. Right now I talk about it also as subtractive psychology because it hmm. takes things off your mind. So I say, you know, we, we uh, teach something that automatically takes things off your mind. So you have the, you know, confidence to enjoy your life. So they're just ways of talking about it, but coming up with that and not using the three principles for the most part, I mean, I still talk about it, but I don't lead with that because it, it just doesn't seem like a, it's, it's as a, as a starting point to a conversation, it creates an obstacle that doesn't need to be there in my experience. But what's your experience, Phil? Well, I, 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 exactly as you describe, really, that uh, I, I cannot remember the last time I've spoken about three principles, mind, consciousness and thought. But certainly I, I would talk, I do talk about the nature of how we experience life and the, the nature of what it is to be human. And um, yeah, really just, I, again, it is talking about it in much more relatable terms. As you said, you know, we want to connect with the conversation that people are already having. And just throwing mind consciousness and thought at somebody is just going to confuse them at best, perhaps. You mentioned about the, uh, you know, community. So here's the thing: I want to ask you this question. Do you have any comment? Like, I, I, I've I've seen some quite vocal teachers um, suggesting that you know three Ps. That's a cult. Um, that it's all a lie. That no one is experiencing their thinking. Do you have any? Do you have any comment on that? Well, you hear people say all kinds of things. I mean, the, if we take the cult one for starters, I, I think that any, anyone who's concerned that anything they're involved with is a cult should go over to Cult Watch and just go through their cult checklist and see there's, there, there's all kinds of really useful support materials that you can use to evaluate whether or not you're in a cult. And I think it's really worthwhile because I find the whole area of cults and cult-like behavior very, very interesting. Now, the ways in which any any group of people, whether it's a religion or whether it's a, a, a business community or whatever, if you go through the Cult Watch checklist, any group of people will have at least a few of them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, because, you know, is there a shared language? that they use to (laughs) communicate. Well, yeah, they do, but so do plumbers have a shared language, but they're not a cult. So you're you're safe with plumbers. Uh, So you wanna go through one of those checklists and just decide for yourself. I mean, it doesn't look like a cult to me, but there are are a lot of the, the things that you'll see in any group. There's certainly group think just like you'll get in any group, you'll get groupthink going on. So there's a lot of groupthink in the principles community. But there's a lot of groupthink in every community. Like that's part of how you know you're in a community is you've got a bunch of people who are, uh, you know, using accepted tropes of thinking about things and that sort of thing rather than thinking for themselves. But again, you know, so what? So what? Yeah. The thing about no one's experiencing... Uh, living in the feeling of the thinking. I I put it like that in clarity and I don't say it like that anymore. The way I say it at the moment, my my best way of articulating it, which is quite nuanced, but also a little cumbersome, is I'll say you're living in the experience of the principle of thought taking form in the moment. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, the principle of thought 
it's a metaphor for, for God. It's a metaphor, the divine intelligence behind life. So if someone says, I don't like the word thought, or I don't understand the word thought, I say, well, you know, you, you could say you're living in the experience of God creating uh, life in every moment. Someone says, oh, I don't like religion. I don't like the G word. It's like, okay, well, you're living in the feeling of uh, an intelligent energy bursting into life and creating a perceptual reality every second. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, that's better. It's like, fine. Well, like, these are just metaphors to point to something that's happening real time, moment to moment to moment. And, and the thing I love about how Sid articulated them and actually his, his choice of the three principles, his, his choice to express them as principles is that, you know, Phil, this spiritual understanding is what all the kind of mystics and sages throughout history have been pointing to, whether it's Jesus or Buddha or whoever, right? But most of those big game-changing insights that gave birth to the world's great, you know, Abrahamic religions and that sort of thing, they happened before we had the metaphor of principles in terms of scientific principles. Yeah. And when you express something, if something in, from a scientific perspective, and, and by the way, these principles are formless, so I'm not even sure that they could ever be encompassed by science. But, but the scientific metaphor is the one we're using when we use the word principles in this context. The, the, the thing about principles is they have three qualities. Number one, they're, they're predictive. Given, given the principles, you'll be able to predict outcomes more effectively in advance. So whether it's the laws of thermodynamics or the law of gravity or whatever, if you understand the principle, you can predict outcomes. So that's number one, they're predictive. Number two, they're explanatory. Given the principles, you can make a, uh, you could explain uh, what's given rise to stuff better. And that's what I found with this. Like I can, if I'm talking to, whether it's a business person or to a, a coaching client or to a, 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 a parent or whatever, not only does this understanding have the best kind of explanatory power I've seen, but it's also got good predictive power. But the third thing that principles have, they've got a constant. You, you, if you've got principles, then there's, there's a constant in there. And the thing that looks like a constant to me, well, there's one constant, which is kind of, kind of a given, which is, you know, who you really are is consciousness itself. Okay. And that's that, that it looks to me like at, at the, at the root of all our suffering and all our seeking and all our pain is we, we uh, get confused about who we really are and, and who you really are, that's a constant. And there's another constant. So that's what we might think of as, a, as an ontological constant, a constant of being. There's also an epistemological constant, which is you're living in the experience of the principle of thought taking form in the moment. Like if you're feeling it, it's, it's being created via this divine energy called thought. And that's a constant too. And just seeing that one, see the thing is every spiritual teaching throughout history has had the first one. It said, who you really are, that's, you know, the I am, go, go for that. But the only people who typically find that are people who either spontaneously wake up to it or commit themselves to a lifetime spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. What Sid articulated that I've never seen anyone else articulate throughout all of history is there's this epistemological constant, which is you're living in the feeling of the principle of thought taking form in the moment. And that constant, anyone can find out about, anyone can get interested in. And what I found again and again and again is if you, if you start there, you can, people will pop into the experience of who they really are. Like, oh, they wake up. So if you, if you, it's, it's sort of, so it just looks to me like an easier way in than the I am. The I am now, if you could only have one of them, if someone was only going to glimpse one of them, the first one, who you really are, that's the, that's, that's the daddy. That's the big one. Yeah. But the, 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 
it seems to me, especially when it comes to, you know, going into businesses and people in the business world and people who are maybe living a more kind of secular life and aren't interested in all this stuff. Look, talking to them about state of mind and, and thought and the, and the link, like there's lots of, I, I reference Harvard Business Review articles uh, on the link between state of mind and performance and productivity and that sort of thing. So that's just a very easy way in for people in business. And what I find is they start to wake up to who they really are. So that's my take on it. I, so I vaguely remember the question. So uh, I know the answer <laughs> was out of proportion. No, well, what you demonstrate over and over again, actually, is because you are so, I guess, what you, what you teach, what you talk about, that's so ingrained in you that you are able to articulate it from, you know, so many different angles. And, you know, I, I, again, I, I coach people around this, that, that once, once it's in there, you don't need a script to help somebody like you are you're teaching and you're you're simply with somebody and what what you're teaching is essentially part of you like there's, there's no script to that and that you demonstrate that beautifully over and over again i want to um i want to you know wrap it up actually because i'm conscious of the time we've run a little bit over thank you so much there's loads in here as there always is as i said at the intro you know you are absolute maestro of, of providing value i'm wondering Let's just finish on that. Like, I'm still wondering, really, what's what's it like to be Jamie Smart? How how might your um, closest friend? I don't know what I would be comparing it to. Right. So I was just wondering whether hit me. What's the question? Yeah. Well, I kind of wonder. You know, if you have any close friends that aren't perhaps directly involved in your work or whatever, how might they describe you? Well, it depends. I mean, I, I have lots of, well, no, I have lots of, I have a handful of really close friends. I like, if I, if I think of like my buddies, like my guy friends who I just yeah. hang out with, I, I'm, I'm just that, you know, prick they know who they give shit to and who gives them shit and that sort of thing. Like we, we, we've just got very typical kind of guy relationships where we kind of horse around and then occasionally talk about deeper stuff and figure stuff out. But it's like, it, I, it, I don't know that they would describe me. Like we, I mean, it, put it this way, Phil, no one's ever asked me to describe any of them. And uh, oh, oh, actually, it's funny, actually. One of, this is kind of interesting. So one of the things, if I, if I take one of my closest friends, a guy called John, one of the things I've always appreciated and admired about him is that he's very wholehearted. He's got that kind of... Uh, authenticity and and kind of open-heartedness and just he's just very uh, and very thoughtful as well which I've always admired and appreciated I've always thought geez I wish I was more thoughtful I, I'm, I'm always like that so if you were to ask him what he appreciates about me um, I'm guessing he might say uh I'm courageous. Uh, I'm guessing he might say, uh, that, that I've got a sense of humor that clicks with him. It's one of the things, Phil, actually, like I, you, you've said about the stuff I create and being productive. I enjoy myself a lot of the time, like I really enjoy myself. And a lot of the time I'm amusing myself too. I'm constantly making jokes for my own, for my own amusement, not for anyone else's amusement. So constantly through all my work and everything, I hardly ever meet anyone who even notices that, okay? But when I met uh, my beloved, Emma McDevitt, she noticed that she, she could, she was laughing at the jokes that I was making, that no one else even, because our industry, the coaching and personal <laughs> development is very somber and po-faced and takes itself very, very seriously. Right. I, I am at risk of taking myself seriously, but I don't have any respect for that. 
Like, and so I, I <laughs> do my best to poke fun at myself and the industry and all that as much as I can, but, but I do it with a pretty straight face. So uh, guess what I'm saying, Phil, is the material is there, but you got to look for it. Yeah. Uh, so so it, John, would, John would say that my sense of humor matches his on almost every, we're very closely aligned so much so that when I send him something that he doesn't find funny, he's like, it's really shocking to even get something from me that he doesn't immediately find funny because we've got a very aligned sense of humor. Yeah. Aside from that, I don't know. To be honest, Phil, I don't really think about it much, what it's like to be me. You know, it's, it's like it's the only reference point I've got. You know, I, what I can tell you is uh, I experience more um, love and connection in the average week than I used to in the average year. So that's, that's real different. Um, I, I'm, uh, I'm still at, uh, at risk of going outside in and thinking once I build this or fix that or change that, then everything's going to be great. And that's just such a trap. Like I'm very prone to that trap to do an I'll be happy when rather than just enjoying the present moment. And so I'd say, in a way, my biggest uh, yoga or kind of uh, thing that I, I keep learning is all we have is now. All we've got is right now. And yeah, I can't see that enough, Phil. But in I don't know if that's answered your question. I don't know what it's like well, to be. Well, I think, uh, as you say, you really get a glimpse. But yeah, thank you for that, really. And I, uh, yeah, finishing in, in the now, that sounds like a beautiful, beautiful point to bring it to a close. Jamie, really, you know, again, it's one of those conversations where the thank you feels pathetically small, but that's, that's kind of all I've got. So yeah, indeed, thank you very much. Thanks, Phil. Lovely to connect with you. Thank you for listening to the Coaching Life Podcast. I'd love to know what are you taking away from this conversation and how will you use that? Email us at coachinglife@philg.com. And if you'd like someone with over 15 years extensive experience as a professional coach in your corner and as your mentor in building your practice and your prosperous coaching life, my six-month Coaching Life Unleashed program may be perfect for you. It has just four openings each year, as I only work with two other coaches at a time. Drop me an email if you'd like more details or to set up a call to explore to see if this highly personalized, intensive coaching and mentorship program will be a fit for you in creating and developing your prosperous coaching life. And finally, if you're enjoying these conversations, please share them with your friends and your community and leave a review on your preferred podcast platform. It makes a huge difference in helping other people like you get an unfiltered look at what it's like to live a coaching life. Until next time, thank you very much for listening. I wish you much love and joy.